Well, recently, uh, I think as a matter of fact, just a few nights ago, having a little bit of difficulty sleeping, and so uh, I got up, and strangely, I don't know about you, but it seems like a, like a magnet. I'm drawn to the refrigerator, okay? Uh, just want to ins- inspect the light on inside, make sure it's still operating. You know, it's important to do that from time to time. And uh, then uh, thought, well, I'll just turn on the television, watch a few, a little something. And so it just so happened there was an interview with Tom Hanks. Many of you know the well-known actor. And he was being interviewed on a talk show. And he was describing a, uh, something that happened not too long ago. As he was at a concert where his wife was performing in that concert. It was outdoor concert, very, very uh, hot day. And so he said he started feeling the need for a cold one, okay, a cold one. And so he went to get uh, this uh, beverage, okay. And uh, when he got there, uh, the nice young lady said, could we see some ID, please, okay. Uh, He didn't have his wristband, you see, and you couldn't get a wristband for the beverages unless you'd been ID. And he said, well, you know. I'm Tom Hanks, you know, and they said, oh, yes, we recognize you. Could we see some ID, you know? (laughs) Well, he said, I'm 62 years old. I'm getting ID'd. And they said, we're sorry. We're sorry, Mr. Hanks. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. And so everybody was laughing about Tom Hanks at the age of 62 being carted at this conference. And so while he was telling that story, I couldn't help but say, but think, you know, Tom Hanks and I have something in common because I got carded at 62. Now, not the same kind of carded. I want to make, let me go here. A little, just a little different. But uh, last year, uh, myself, Susan, uh, I think Ben, Stephen, Ruth, we went to McDonald's. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm paying for everybody, you know, so... They ate quite a bit, be quite frankly. So when I, when I got the receipt, I, I mean, you know, it was quite a bit. I said, hey, I, I don't see the discount here. And, you know, when you reach a certain age, they give you a discount. I, I, that used to embarrass me, but, you know, I'm, I'm more stingy than I am proud. So, uh, and... And the teenage guy behind the counter says, I'm sorry, I got to see, see some ID. <laughs> I said, what? He says, I got to see some ID. I said, are you serious? I, I can't give that discount. I got to see some ID. So, yeah, I'm reaching in my pocket, getting my driver's license out. He's checking it. And I'm thinking, are you serious? I'm getting carded at McDonald's, okay? <laughs> I'm getting carded McDonald's. But then it flipped on. Wait. It's for the senior discount. This is a good thing. I'm getting carded to see if I really, really do, really have access to the senior discount. So I actually got a blessing out of it, you know, not as much as the money, you know, but still, I got a blessing. The way I'm being carded at 62. Now you say, okay, you. Where are you going with this, Sam? You know, where, where you're not even near the airport. You got, how are you going to land this plane? <laughs> how about this? 1 John 3 is about checking your ID, okay? All right. Can that get you there? Is that a bridge too far? All right, so we get there. That's what it's about. 
Because John wrote this letter, he says in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I have written these things to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. You know, there are times when people say, you can't know that you have eternal life. You can't know until you stand before God whether you have eternal life. Matter of fact, some people think that's fairly arrogant of anybody who would say, I know that I have eternal life. But the Bible says that these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. And here in chapter 3... John is really encouraging us to check our ID to make sure that we know that we have eternal life. Now, we began last week by opening up this passage. And if you look back at verses 1 and 2, there's a wonderful ID. There's a wonderful identity for every believer in Jesus. What is that? Look at verse 1. See what kind of love The Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. This is our identity. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that is, Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, notice that we mentioned it last week. We live in the already, not yet. Beloved, we are the children of God, he says. We are right now the children of God. Already we are sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Already, but not yet. (laughs) We're not yet all we're going to be. We're not yet completed. We're not yet the fully redeemed and glorified people that we're going to be one day when Jesus appears, when we see him as he is, and we will be like him. Now that's hope, right? That is hope indeed. So the question is, how do we know? How do we know? And John writes in 1 John chapter 3, two qualities, two qualities that help us check our ID. That we can know that we have eternal life. That we are the sons and daughters of God. What are these qualities? The first one we looked at last week, it's the quality of holiness. Holiness. Look at verse 3. Everyone who has, who thus hopes. Hopes what? Hopes to see Jesus, waiting for Jesus, looking for Jesus. Everyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies himself because he is pure. God is holy. Christ Jesus is holy. And the people who truly believe in him and long to be with him and be like him, they live 
holy lives. And that's what he talks about in verses 4 through 10. He says that's the reason it's impossible if you have the nature of God, if you've truly been born of Him, it's impossible that you continue to live the way that you've lived before. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up daily. However, there's a new you. There's a new nature that you have, which is God's gift to you through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has brought you his life, your new nature, and you are going to be a different person than you have been. You're going to grow in this grace and knowledge, but you will be holy. So the first test of our ID is look at yourself. Do you pass this ID of holiness? But now notice there's a second quality. The first quality is holiness. The second quality, and that's what we'll look at today, is love. Love. The ID, the identification of a true believer, is a pursuit of holiness like he is holy and a pursuit of love just as he is love. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not righteous, is not of God. That has to do with everything, verses 4 down through verse 10. But now he starts a new qualification, a new examination. Verse 10, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And picking up there on the word love, all the way to the end of of the chapter, verse 24, he's going to show us The kind of love that identifies a son or daughter of God. Now, notice what he says about this. John says, it is love that distinguishes the children of God. Love distinguishes the children of God. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Let me tell you what I mean by the word distinguish. The word distinguish means to contrast, to compare, It means to separate. When you distinguish something, you separate it from other things. Love, the love of God, distinguishes a believer in Christ from whom? Well, look at verse 10. Look at it again. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Notice he says there's two divisions in humanity. There's the children of God and there are the children of the devil. Now last week I understand that there were a few people that uh, seemingly were a little offended that when I said that only believers are the children of God and that people who are not believers are children of the devil. I understand there are a few people maybe who were offended when I said that. And so my response would be, I'm not trying to be unduly offended, but I'll tell you what I am doing. I'm just reading the Bible, (laughs) okay? I'm just reading the Bible 
Now, understand what this means, friends. Listen carefully. When it says that people who are not believers are children of the devil, it doesn't mean they're as wicked as the devil. It doesn't mean that they are as awful and terrible as the devil. It means that because they are under the devil's domain, they're under his authority. They've not been born again. They are in their quality children of the devil. But those who have been born again by the grace of God, we have become by God's grace, not by our works, but through the love of Jesus, we have been born again. We've been translated into the kingdom of light. That is the kingdom of God's dear son. And his spirit is in us. And now we really are the children of God. This is what the Bible teaches So what is the vital sign? You know, if you go to the doctor for a checkup, before you see the doctor, you'll probably see a nurse, and the nurse will say, well, Mr. Polson, going to check your vitals here, okay? And they're going to check your vital signs just to see how you're doing. You know, that benchmark, how has it changed? Has anything changed since you were there last time? They're looking for the vital signs. Love is the key vital sign of every believer. That's what John is going to tell us today. Love is the key vital sign of every believer. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now here again, he is saying, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. It's the message that Jesus shared. It's the message that all the apostles have shared. It's the message that I have shared. It's the first message that you have ever heard when you first became Christians, that you should love one another. Why is John saying this? Because the false teachers, the Gnostics were saying, listen, you got to get beyond that. You got to grow up you got to get beyond this stage of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you've got to advance into higher knowledge. And John says, don't you believe that for a moment? There is no higher experience than the love of God and sharing his love. He says, love distinguishes the children of God. It's a vital sign. It's life and hatred is not of God. As a matter of fact, he goes to a historical expression of this, ancient history, about as far back as you can go, and he says hatred is the real mark of Cain. Now, the Bible says that God put a mark on Cain lest people should destroy him. But before there was a mark externally on Cain, there was a mark internally in his nature, and it was hatred. Look at verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Here you have murder. In the first two children born to Adam and Eve. And just to make it graphic to us today, you might want to understand that word murdered there is only used in two passages in the whole New Testament. It 
means slaughtered. Slaughtered like a lamb is slaughtered. It doesn't mean that Cain hit his brother on the head or he suffocated him with a pillow. It means he slaughtered his brother, probably slit his throat. After all, what was it that Abel had offered to God? Animal sacrifice. And Cain is so infuriated that his brother's sacrifice has been accepted by God and his sacrifice of the work of his hands isn't. He says, I'll just do to you what you did to that lamb. Why did he do it? Hatred. Why did he hate Abel? Why did he hate Abel? Because Abel's righteousness exposed Cain's evil. That's why he hated him. Abel was righteous, and he showed that he was righteous by offering the sacrifice required of God. He was righteous, and he was accepted by God. And because he was accepted, and Cain wasn't, Cain hated him, slaughtered him, because it was the righteousness of Abel that exposed Cain's evil. Now John says, friends, brothers, and sisters, nothing has changed. He says nothing's changed. Look at verse 13. He says, do not be surprised then, brothers. And do not there means literally stop. Stop being surprised then, brothers, that the world hates you. You, you love You are people of love. God is in you. And you try to love people. He's speaking to these little children. You truly love your Savior. And you try to love people. And what is the result sometimes? You're hated. Don't let this surprise you. I read this week about the Greek philosopher Socrates. Who lived in the golden age of... Greece, a few hundred years before Christ. And he was not, as we would say, a believer. But he was known everywhere as a good man. The epitome of morality. And he had a terrible enemy. Socrates had a terrible enemy whose name was Alcibiades. Alcibiades hated him with a passion. And one day Alcibiades met Socrates on the road and he said this, Socrates, I hate you because every time I meet you, you show me what I am. I hate you because every time I meet you, you show me what I am. Now, my friends, If a Greek philosopher, by his moral integrity, can bring guilt, what do you think can happen when someone is a follower of Christ? When someone is truly following Christ and desiring to be like Christ, what is going to be the response? John says, you need to understand, you're going to be hated. Don't be surprised by this. What did Jesus say? Men love darkness rather than light 
because their deeds are evil. Have you ever experienced this, that you just walk in a room and it just seems like the conversation changes? I mean, you didn't come in there with your giant Bible, set up a table and say, thus saith the Lord. You just walked in a room. What's happened? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You just, what are you? You, if you're a Christian, you're a child of light. What was it that Jesus said? If the world has hated me, the world will what? Hate you. We just need to get over the fact that we're not going to be popular. When did we ever get this idea? We have to deal with this pity party that people aren't treating us well. When in the history of the people of God were they ever treated well on this earth? We just need to get over that. Because if you're a Christian, you are light. You love and you're, you're trying to be a better person because of Christ. But friend, listen, listen to me. Evil exists. Do you understand this? Evil is not just floating around in the air. Evil exists and it's in people's hearts. It's even in our heart. And people who have not known the new nature of Jesus Christ, they, they, they've not known the light, they've not known the joy, they've not known this change of behavior just by the fact that you are different. You don't have to say anything. You're exposing darkness. What did we think Jesus meant when he said, you're the light of the world? Did we think that when Jesus said, you're the light of the world, people were going to run up to us and go, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, it was so dark until you came around. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm telling you, de denial is not just a river in Egypt. You, you need to understand this. This is not new, folks. That's just not the way it is. This world is no friend of grace to help you on to God. There is a difference between the unrighteous and the righteous. That's what distinguishes us. And what is it? Love. Love. So love distinguishes true Christians. And now let's notice the second thing that love does. John says, love not only distinguishes the true children of God, love defines the true children of God. It's not just words. It's not the things that we say at church. It's not just a creed we recite. It's not just stories we have learned. It's a real thing. Love is the realest of qualities, and it defines us as children. Now here John is becoming personal. You may think, you mean he wasn't yet? You sure made him sound that way, Sam. Well, he's becoming personal with people who profess that love 
is who they are, that they're Christians. And he's going to check our ID. As a matter of fact, he says, no, I want you to check your ID. Get your ID out and see if this is who you really are. Not, not what you talk about on Sundays, not what you sing about, but when you go live your life, is this really who you are? And it is this love that causes us to know that we are God's children. As a matter of fact, note this. John uses the phrase, we know, four times. Did you note that when Don was reading it? Look at this. Mark your Bible four times. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Verse 14, mark it. Verse 16, by this we know love. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts. Verse 24, and by this we know that he abides in us. Do you, did you hear that? We know, we know, we know, we know. How do we know? By love. One word, L-O-V-E. That's how we know. You see, love is seen in a Christian's character. You, you might not be able to define it exactly, but it's there. Love is seen in a Christian's character. Love is the vital sign of spiritual life. As a matter of fact, life, real life, is revealed in love. Real life, real life has to sprout fruit. And what is that fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Look at verse 14. We know, checking our ID, we know, we are knowing that we have passed out of death. That's perfect tense. We are currently knowing that at a time in the past, we passed out of death and we are no longer in death because we are loving the brothers. Whoever is not loving is still abiding in the death. You see how it comes across when you make it very clearly present tense? Verse 15, everyone who is hating his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Love is the expression of life. What's hatred? Hatred is the essence of a murderer. Isn't it interesting? He says, we know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. How can he call it murder? What? Wait a minute, John. Not having love and, you know, got some hatred in your heart, that's murder? Who says so? Jesus. John was there. Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus say? It has been said to you, you shall not commit murder. Oh, great. Do anything you want to your neighbor as long as you don't kill him. That's, you, no, 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 not in Christ's kingdom, 
No, 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 no. You, you don't get any credit for getting to zero. No, he says, I say to you, I say to you, if you are angry with your brother without a cause, I say to you, if you are insulting to your brother, I say to you, if you in anger call him a fool, you moral, perverse person, if that is what's spewing out of your mouth, Jesus said you have committed murder already in your heart. Because what is the seed of murder? Where does it start? It starts in hate. Hate. Hateful, a hateful, vengeful spirit reveals the heart. A hateful, vengeful spirit from a person reveals the heart. What did Jesus say is out of the mouth what? That the heart speaks. Friends, I want to tell you that hatred cannot be long hidden. It will come up. It will not only come up in the bucket of your mouth. And what is in the well of your heart will come up in the bucket of your mouth. But I want to tell you, it will come up in your face. It will come up in your face. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. This is a great quote. He said, after the age of 40, every person is responsible for their own face. <laughs> you, you can't blame mom and dad. No. What did he mean by that? After 40 years, whatever has been the disposition of a person's life, those marks are going to be etched in that person's face. You say, well, that's Abraham Lincoln. Well, I don't know about Abraham Lincoln and his spiritual condition exactly, but I'll tell you one thing, the Bible supports him. You do a Bible study on the word countenance. Go ahead. Look up what the Bible says about a countenance, and it will tell you that what is in a person's heart is displayed in their countenance. Their countenance. Your countenance is the window of your soul. Your countenance is a window into your soul. And friends, it is absolutely true. No matter what we say we believe, no matter what creed we recite or songs that we sing, no matter what Bible study we attend, if our face hasn't found out about our salvation, something's wrong. You're not going to go around happy, happy, happy all the time. No, you're not going to do that. Why? Because happiness is determined by your happenings. But not your joy. Your joy is not determined by your happenings. Your joy is determined by Jesus. See, your happiness is connected to the happenings of your life, but your joy is connected to Jesus who is in your life. And I want to tell you, if Jesus is in your heart, there will be a spirit about you that is not vengeful, not angry, not hateful. Oh, my friend, please check your ID today. I don't care how many Bible verses you can quote. I don't care about your baptism. I don't care about your catechism. I don't care about your depth of Bible knowledge. If your spirit is not kind and compassionate and gracious, you need to be gravely concerned about your soul. Stop fooling yourself. Stop talking about grace and not being a grace-filled person.
Stop talking about Jesus and your face never shows the joy of the Lord. Get down into this. What is going on? Why? Why this argumentative spirit? Why this negativity? Why this pessimism? When are you going to check this out? Something's wrong. It's not my role to judge, but I would tell you, you need to look in your heart. Life is revealed in love. And here, look, John flips the coin. Love is revealed in life. You can't keep it to yourself. You just can't. Uh, Do you ever see the, the, the old movie, you know, Charles Dickens, The Christmas Carol? And, and after Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up on second morning, on Sunday, on uh, Christmas morning, you remember this? I don't, I can't help myself. I shouldn't be this happy. I can't, well, I can't help myself. I gotta be happy. You know, it's just kind of goofy, but it's cute because he's not sane. He, he, he can't help it. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's not miserable anymore. Why isn't he miserable? Because he's not miserly. I love what a great Bible scholar, B.F. Westcott, Westcott, one of the great British Bible scholars. I've got several of his books. I, I understand very few of what he said because he's a Bible scholar. Okay. <laughs> but I did get this. I got this this week. Quote, life reveals the children of God. Life reveals the children of God. That is how we live our life will reveal if we really are the children of God. Verse 16, it looks like this. Verse 16, by this we know love. We know that we have love. And we know that we've experienced love because he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us. If he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, here's life. This is real life. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Uh, You mean that Jesus laid down his life for you? That Jesus lives in you? He sacrificed for you, but you see someone in need and true need God's brought them to your heart. He's brought them into your life. And yet you shut your compassion. How does the love of God dwell in you? I came across a statistic this week. It it gripped me. As a matter of fact, I put it in a devotional. Spoiler alert. You are getting it a few weeks. All this talk today about the 1%. The top, the top of economic level, the economic level. We need, we need tax reform. We need new tax legislation because the top 1%. All this goes back and forth. <laughs> Do you know what the top 1% is? I-, I wondered, so I looked it up. If you make... a year or more, $34,200 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of the 7 billion people on the face of this earth. 
99% of the 7 billion people who live on this earth live on less than $34,200. What's my point? My point is this, folks. In the big scheme of the world and in the big scheme of history, friends, look around. We're rich people. Yes, there are folks here in our midst in need, and we are to meet those needs, and we will, by God's grace. If you're in need, true need, you let us know we're here to do that. That's how the body of Christ works, right? But I want to tell you something. Do not let the American system of finances get into your heart, and do not consider yourself one of the poverty-stricken. We experience this day what the richest of people a hundred years ago, the richest of kings before that could have never experienced. We're going to go out here and we're going to get in a chariot called a car. Or we're going to turn a switch with a thing called a key. And an engine's going to start. <laughs> Horsepower, but no horses. And we're going to drive this. And we're going to drive in air conditioning. And we're going to go to our homes and many of us are going to push a button and the garage door is going to come up. The moat is going to open and we go in and the moat closes behind us. And we, we walk to the refrigerator and there's a light on inside and there's food in there and it's cold. And I turn a knob and hot water comes out and I turn a knob and cold water comes out. We're rich we're rich. Freely we have received. So freely what? Give. Why do I say this? I don't say this to put a guilt trip on anybody. I'm just saying I'm, these are the facts. If we close our, our generosity to people in need because of our poverty... How dwells the love of God in us? Oh, friends, listen, check your ID. Check your ID. We've experienced the love of Christ. What was that love? He sacrificed. There's only one measurement for love. Love has nothing to do with how you're feeling. That can change. There's only one measurement for love. Love is measured by giving. For God so loved the world that he gave Christ loved the church and he gave himself. That's where love begins. Love, the Bible love, has as its essence sacrifice. Friends, love does. <laughs> love does. Last two weeks ago, I think it was, maybe three, I brought you that message on love doesn't. And I know you all remember it. And you just been spellbound ever since okay love doesn't it's it's on the it's on the web page first john 2 15 to 17 love doesn't love the world things the world uh, love does its pride of life the lust of the flesh lust of the eyes no love, love's not that but love's not neutral love does Love gives, love acts. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, 
How does God's love abide in him? Love must give. Why must love give? Because love is of God and God is a giver. He's not a taker. God is a God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He gives us that job and he gives us that money and those resources so that we can enjoy them ourselves and then we can employ them for others. That's the reason you get money. God's good. He wants you to enjoy it, but he wants you to employ it. Some of us are enjoying it, but we're not employing it. What's my point? You need to check that out. You need to check out a faith. It says it knows the love of God and lives every day just like this. You need to check that out. It's been well said, life is a chance of learning to love. Isn't that great? Life is a chance of learning to love. And my friends, love, we're not talking about words. We're talking about deeds. Look at verse 18. Little children... Are you looking there? Verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk. We have a saying for this. Talk is what? Talk is cheap. (laughs) But in deed and in truth. Notice that. Love and truth. Truth and love. Someone ought to do a sermon series on that. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Okay. (laughs) Love and truth. They go together. Love is seen in in a Christian's character. And love is the source of a Christian's confidence. It's in our character. We see it in our character. It's of God. It's not of us. And what does that give us? It gives us confidence. Notice, that's how we know. Verse 19. Verse 24, that's how we know. How do we know? Because I see the character of love in my life. And that's giving me confidence because I know that didn't come from me. Wherever that love's coming from, it didn't come from me. It comes from the one who is in me, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, love assures us. When we see this love in our life, it assures us. It assures us of our acceptance. Three things it assures us of. We're done. We're done. Love expressed in our life assures us of our acceptance. Look, if you would, at verse 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. We're not phony. We're we're not a counterfeit. And, And we are able to reassure our hearts before him, before God. We're able to reassure our hearts. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Now, notice this here. This is really backward to what we would be thinking. It's backward to what I thought for ages. What is John saying here? Because God knows everything, that gives you assurance. Oh, no, John, I don't think so. Uh, that's, That's what bothers me. God knows everything. He knows my thoughts. He knows my words. He knows my deeds. He knows everything I do. How can there be any assurance in what? And God knowing everything. Well, don't you see what's saying? 
John is putting himself in the boat. Isn't this something? He says, there's times when our heart condemns us. He's putting himself there. Yeah, me too. You, John? After all these years? Yes. I sin and my heart condemns me. Sometimes I even struggle saying, how could a Christian even do this? But even though my heart, my conscience condemns me, guess what? God is greater than my heart and he knows everything. How does that give us assurance? Here's how it does. God knows the evil I've done. He knows the things I've said. He knows the things that I've thought. He he knows all that, but he also knows everything. Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. He knows that. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever take an oath and curse that you didn't know Jesus? How many of you ever raised your hand to heaven and took an oath before God and cursed and swore that you never knew Jesus? That's pretty bad. What if you did it three times? What if you did it three times when your Savior needs you more than he's ever needed you? Who am I talking about? Peter. See, John was there. John was there that morning when Jesus had breakfast with Peter. (laughs) And he had a nice little dinner breakfast conversation with him. Oh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know I, I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter understands. He understands. What's his answer? What's his answer? Lord, you know what? All things you know that I love you. Yes, I denied you. Yes, I raised my hand and swore I didn't know you. Yes, 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 I did it. You're right, I did it. I abandoned you. I denied you, my Lord and my Savior. I denied you. But you know everything. You know my heart. You know I love you. Now, friend, that's where we get sometimes. Because there are times in my life, in your life, the only confidence we have is that God has put in our heart a love for Jesus and we cling to him and he's our hope. When I have no hope in me, I cling to the reality that I love Jesus Christ. And God knows it. I don't love him as I ought to, but I love him. And that's the assurance. That's where the Lord wants to take some of us today. You see, why is the Lord doing this to some of you today? Why are you sitting here and you feel so bad and so convicted and you're thinking of all the things that you've done wrong and you're thinking how God knows everything? What is this all about? God is pressuring you to say this, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, Lord Christ. 
I have nothing to bring to you. I cling to your cross. Let the cross and what you did, your blood, atone for me. I love you, Lord Jesus. That's where the Lord wants us to be. We have assurance of our access. Verse 21, beloved, when we get right with God, our heart doesn't condemn us. And we have confidence before God. I, I know my, I'm right with God and I love and I'm I, clinging to him. And I have boldness and I can ask. And I can be asking and receiving from him because I'm keeping his commandments. And I'm doing what pleases him. When, when, I'm, when I'm serving the Lord and being faithful to him and I'm loving him and I'm loving others, this is producing confidence in me so that I'm, in my prayers, I'm not just going through the litany over and over and confessing, 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 confessing. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. And the Lord says, okay, I forgive you. Now get on with something else. Talk to me about something else. You see, when your conscience is clear, then you can enter into praying in the will of God. And as you're praying, this is present tense, your prayers get lined up with God's will and you and God get together on it. You say, Sam, how does that work? How should I know? <laughs> I, I don't understand a lot I preach. You say, yes, that's clear. Okay, but I, but I know it's true. This assurance is of acceptance, access, and it's the assurance that I'm abiding. I'm abiding. We must abide in him. Verse 23, whoever keeps, excuse me, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, his son, and love one another. What is, his commandment means his will. It's not plurals. It's not plural. It's singular. What's his commandment? What's his will? Some of you here today hear, my, hear me. What's God's will for your life? That's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him wholly. Repent and turn to Christ. Cling to Christ. Be saved and love people. Full stop. Drop the mic. That's it. All out of that. Believe on Jesus. That's God's will. Believe on Christ. Verse 24. And then as we are keeping his commandment, we are abiding in God, God in him. And by this we are knowing. We are knowing. We are knowing. Why are we knowing? Because in the biggest assurance we have of all, at all is someone that assures us. It's a someone by the Spirit whom He has given us. You see, the ultimate assurance is not of your thinking or my thinking, my doing, your doing. It's of the Holy Spirit. You know the word, there's an word, interesting word for the Holy Spirit. You know what He's called? He's called the Arabone. The Arabone. Interesting word. You know what Arabone sometimes referred to? It referred to this right here. Wedding ring. It was called an Arabone. What does that mean? The wedding ring doesn't make you married. The, the wedding ring isn't your marriage. The wedding ring is just a sign and seal 
and a reminder and a testimony that you are married. This ring has been on my finger since July 2nd, 1978. It is the sign and the seal of Susan and I and our covenant together. And what is the Holy Spirit? He's the wedding ring in your heart. That you are the bride of Christ. And he's your bridegroom. And you're married. And the Holy Spirit in your heart says, yeah, that's right. He bears witness of that. That's blessed assurance. Amen.